Hey there, it's episode 144 of No Guitar Is Safe, the guitar show where guitar heroes plug in. And, you know, I really don't think I toot my own horn, but if I step back a little bit and look at this show, one of the things I love about it since its inception in 2015 is that you don't even have to know who the guest is to have a great interview slash guitar hang experience. That's because on this show, the guests play their guitars. Oftentimes they jam with me, as you'll hear today. They demonstrate how they forge their style. They demonstrate the parts they put on records. They demonstrate the licks that move them. So even if you don't know their music, well, you sure will by the time you're halfway through the episode. Today's guest, Fernando Perdomo, I just met him recently. Seems like months ago, but I think it's been a couple years. Finally hung out in person at his super vibey studio. Well, you know, Fernando came up in Miami. Straight out of high school, he started gigging like crazy, and he told me that despite the fact that he ended up on some huge tours playing arenas and even stadiums and doing a couple of huge records, the scene wasn't quite for him. He'd walk into the studio, and they'd have just like a like a computer and maybe one or two guitars on the walls, and, well, not the avalanche of gear that you see when you walk into a studio like Fernando's over here in L.A., where he lives in this beautiful working-class neighborhood. He's got this room above an auto shop, man. There's like engines being, V8 engines being pushed around on carts and stuff. And he's got this pad up there that actually, in an earlier life, produced hit records for Nipsey Hussle, Platinum Records, I believe, 2 Chains, T.I., that was when it was a hip-hop room run by My Guy Mars. It also was Tommy Lee's room, apparently, for Motley Crue back in the day. So it's got a lot of vibe and history and probably various substances in the walls there. And he's got that place full of cool gear. He's got Wurlitzers and other keyboards and drums and various cabinets and a live room next to his control room. And he hands me this cool 52 Tele replica that was actually built in 82 and he's playing his 74 Mustang through his Magnetone Twilight and he's one of these cats Fernando that has done so many things I don't know how to tell you all about them I would start with Energy Overload this is his brand new record with Carmine Apice the great drummer who's played with everyone from Rod Stewart to Jeff Beck and he hits hard and they're just playing off each other it's really great we're gonna dive deep into that you can check that out wherever you listen to your music Energy Overload Fernando also put out this fantastic Paul McCartney tribute album to, uh, they redid all the music to Ram, which is a great album I've loved since I was a kid. My, my auntie, Aunt Laura, gave that to me. She always turned me on to lots of music when I was a kid. He's also a featured player in the awesome documentary Echo in the Canyon about the Laurel Canyon music scene, which you can still check that out on, on Amazon and other places. So yes, Fernando's had this magical life and, uh, he plays guitar with this soul that you only find in certain kind of rockers. Like, uh, I mean, even without knowing that he was a Neil Young fan, I would have compared him to Neil Young because I just love the way he digs in. But then again, after you hear his story, let's ask ourselves, was it magic? Or is it that he's talented and he's fully in touch with what he loves, which is making music, and that he's a cool guy, and that he's always working with passion, and that he's an absolute nerd about learning more about music? So anyway, we're going to head right over there. Thanks to Guitar Player Magazine and GuitarPlayer.com for making this episode happen. Guitar Player, play better, sound better. Got to fire up that helicopter. But before I do, I have to apologize. The uh, multi-track mobile recorder that I've been using since 2015, a couple of times in here, more than a couple, it kind of does this weird clicking sound, which you're going to hear hear me trying to minimize when those little moments come up. They're really, It's really brief. It goes click, 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 click. I'm like... <laughs> Who knows why it's doing that? Maybe it's the auto shop down before. They're testing out some spark plugs or something. But I kind of work around it, switch to other tracks. So apologies for that. Maybe it's time to check out a new recorder. But that's what happens when you're parachuting into places. You know, sometimes your, your gear gets, maybe takes a hit. Just thankful we got this great interview. Another awesome guitar hang documented. I want to shout out to Veterans Happy Veterans Day. Very honored to uh, play for a veterans event on Sunday, this past Sunday, in Greenville, South Carolina. We played at the minor league ballpark for the Greenville Drive, which is actually the Red Sox farm team, I believe. It was a really cool spot. They actually have a replica of Fenway Park there. If you're a baseball fan, you'll totally appreciate how they have an actual replica of the Green Monster out there. So, yeah, salute to our veterans. Thank you. And now, let's head over and parachute in to this wild studio 
across town here in Los Angeles and hang out with Fernando Perdomo. Keep it alive to you, 95. There we go. This is the most comfortable position. Uh, usually, the way it works is I, I try guitar and I just lean back. And when I'm leaning yeah. back, I feel like I get my best tone. There's a there's a yeah. great. So YouTube is a beautiful thing, and uh, there's a I I love all these YouTubers, and one of my favorites is Samurai Guitarist. Have you seen this video where it talks about like he does a science experiment and he plays the exact same thing, one while not making any faces and one while making faces? And he actually like examines, he's like, oh, so when I start making faces, you know, the volume level of the guitar is louder. My I'm playing faster, like slightly off the grid, and it's more exciting. Oh, yeah. It's just really interesting. This is where I'm, my tone is best. When I'm just like relaxing the back and I'm just like... I feel like I feel like Nigel Tough Nails. Like, see, same thing. Uh, yeah. One louder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was all about the chair too, right? You gotta have a nice office chair with, a, with some wheels, maybe. Hey, man, this is an Amazon made by made by dwarves. Yeah, it's a, in in, uh, in uh, North Pole. And, elves. Uh, elves, and then I I put it together. I sent the picture to my friend, and she's like, "It's crooked." I'm like, "I'll take another picture." She's like, "It's still crooked." So that's the beautiful thing about, you know, post-COVID world where it's like you sit around and you're like, you know, you start sending stuff to people like that. You know, you don't have somebody sitting around going, it's crooked. So I just sent it over to my friend Vanya and she's like, okay, now it's good. So, yeah, you said in, in your recent Guitar Player Magazine feature written by Nikki. Nikki O'Neill, who is an amazing guitar player and just absolutely wonderful person. Yes. You said that you feel like, uh, and I, I relate to this. Although I don't know, I'd never really fully rank things, but that, you know, maybe I'm amazed that guitar solo is the greatest one of all time. Why, why, why is that? Well, see, what impresses me about guitar solos is more like the compositional value and the ability of being able to say, oh, wow, that made the song better. It's not just a diversion. It's not just something that's there to fill time. It's not just something that's there to make it get to 355 or 345. And you can't think of maybe amazed without the guitar solo. In fact, I once saw a cover band skip the guitar solo, and it wasn't as good. No way would it be as good. I know. It was, it was like a kind of a singer-songwriter type situation. They're just a guitar player and a percussionist. So they just skipped the guitar solo, and I was just like, man, you just ruined it. You know? Well, you guys crush it. You and Carmine Apice. Is that, how do we say his name? Carmine Apice. Yes, Carmine Apice, the legendary drummer, who I was fortunate enough to meet backstage in South Carolina once, and I was playing drums in this room, and... I got a great photo. I don't know if I told you this where I, <laughs> he's standing behind my shoulder, like looking at my drumming and just like grimacing with a thumbs down. It's, it's so funny. The, the, the only thing louder than Carmine Apice's drumming is his personality. And he is one of the most intimidating and just like overbearing in a best way type people. But then yeah. when you get to know him, he's a teddy bear and he's such a nice guy and he's very just humble when it comes to working with people and being an amazing collaborator. Well, you guys have this new project called yeah. Energy Overload. Energy Overload. And what made me think of that song is that you actually cover Maybe I'm Amazed yeah. on it. Maybe we could play a little bit of that and you could show us that that great solo before well, we... Well, first of all, I actually want, was I did a little bit of a, of a thing once where I was comparing all the different approaches because McCartney's the original guitar player on McCartney one. Yeah. And he kind of had like this kind of like jangly teletone and his, his whole vibe is like, oh, you got to get the very, background. Very, chords. very, yeah. And he kind of went for kind of like a, yeah, he, but then the, the one that kills me though is Jimmy McCulloch. Uh, when he went in uh, in Wings Over America, because he really kind of like got more gaity with the SG, and he went for it, and it's like. Nice. But see, now that's one of the solos that needs the background harmony to even sound better, so let's play it together, I yeah, swear so to God. Go for it. Two, three, four.
Baby, in the car Anyway, okay, three, four. That's that's a McCartney lick, Ooh, and that's just that. the one, man. I mean, just I could tell that Paul has a similar approach to me on soloing because here's the thing: I never really learned a lot of scales and modes and stuff. But what I do do is I know chord shapes, and for example, you got a yeah. C there, and it's like. So basically, you know, <laughs> triangle, and then... And then there's the, 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 st- the straight, regular A shape. And when you yeah. look at stuff through shapes, the juice notes are really obvious. It's like, okay, you got, you got the one, yeah. you got the three, you got the five, and then you got all these other things. And then I love experimenting with playing major sevens over majors. It's an old joke I used to do. Whenever I'd be stuck on stage in a blues jam, you know, play a little blues. What key? That key, you know. Everyone else. is how to infuriate a blues band. Yeah. Boy, you're playing some fancy stuff. <laughs> well, with those expensive notes you're playing there. Next I've thing got you know, the blues so bad. Oh, man. Here, here, here. Want to hear something infuriating? Fired. <laughs> Sweeter home, Alabama. <laughs> to saccharin home, Alabama. Yeah. <laughs> Ah, you crazy man. Alabama. Hey, man, the major seven court's making a comeback these days. Don't knock it. <laughs> Silver Twin. Uh, there's a band called Silver Twin from, from uh, London. A bunch of 21-year-olds that are obsessed with Jerry Rafferty, ah, cool. Nick Lowe, 10CC, Billy Joel. And yeah. that is the future, man. The future right. is not the future. Because you know what, man? We've already had 20 years of the evil empire, you know, the, the evil overlords. One of my ex-girlfriends said, Kanye is proof that robots took over the world. Because you listen to all these voices, T.I., uh, not T.I., what's his name, uh, T-Pain, and all that stuff. It's the robot overlords. And people are now <laughs> used to robot voices speaking to them. Yeah. I think what the world needs right now is natural, you know? Yeah, no makeup, hairy armpits, and non-autotuned <laughs> voices, you know? And I think yeah. that's a beautiful thing, man. We can bring those. I, well, it, it's, a, it's available to everyone that wants it, everybody yeah. who seeks it out. Unfortunately, not in the top 40. But one day, maybe the top 40. Actually, you know what? I have a lot of respect for Adele. Like, her new single, oh, yeah. 
uh, I guess it's called uh, uh, Go Easy On Me. Some uh, Briata was talking about how is is it microtonal? No, it's just not auto tuned. Oh, she's you know? great. Man. She's amazing, and I love the story about how someone like you is just the demo. It's just literally her and the guy she wrote it with on piano, and it's completely freaking you know not auto tuned. No makeup, no makeup on that. You know, it's very cool. Yeah. yeah, she's a real deal. And my girlfriend saw her once, and like she started tuning, and she just didn't find the note for the first second, and she stopped the tune and started again. Like she's like a human. She's not necessarily, you know, a session singer or something. She's a real deal with incredible vibe and great timbre and so much emotion. And, and, she's, and she curses like a sailor and smokes like a, <laughs> smokes like a crazy person. But she's awesome. So it's back great. to Paul McCartney for a second. You know, I just, we just did a Jefferson Starship. We, did a, we uh, re-recorded. We did our own version of Helter Skelter. Ooh. And that's so, like, his guitar playing is so crazy. It's, yeah. It's like an E, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And it goes to A. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Hey, we're both in fifths. Yeah. <laughs> well, like somebody that, on YouTube just came up with a genius idea. I love like that. that lick right there. It's just E minor pentatonic position yeah. at the 12th fret. You don't move out of the position. <laughs> I think that's what he's doing. <laughs> it's well, just so, that's so trippy. It's amazing. Like I just found a photo that I've never seen before. Of uh, during the get back sessions, during the let it be sessions, Paul McCartney with George Harrison's left, uh, George Harrison's uh, rosebud telly strung lefty, like yeah. like not like like just holding it righty, you know, strung righty, but it's holding it lefty, and Billy Preston's jamming with him on the Fender bass six, and it's just like oh man, you know, all that's the thing is that um, Paul was so like just such a badass he could pick up any instrument yeah. and he proved himself on guitar bass keyboards drums every instrument in the beatles and you know as much i mean i love man you know, that's the thing that's the cool thing about george is that he was always the underdog but in the end something is the greatest beatles guitar solo yeah there you go dude Wait, wait, wait. Let, me try, let me try to play the background for it. Yeah. Uh, C major uh, uh, major? Um, it's C, it's a C major seventh. Yeah, hold on. Like that? Two, three, four, one. It makes you cry every time. What do you think are some of the other just killers? To me, the greatest solo that actually is a little bit athletic might be Sultans of Swing. Yeah. I mean, that 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 is... And you know, the thing that's badass about it is that anybody could shred with yeah. tons of gain on. That's bone dry. And that's the sound of... of uh, from what I understand, from what I heard... That's that classic strat through a music man, which is the same exact thing, same same combo that that you know, Clapton was using at the time. And I heard it's like a Morley volume pedal, you know, strat in the quack position into a music man. And it's like such a beautiful thing because no pick, 
And yeah. Knopfler, you know, was against the grain, you know, because, man, if you think about it, it was that 78, there's punk going on. There's, you know, Eddie Van Halen on one side, yeah. and everybody's going gaga over Eddie Van Halen. But, man, for a guy to come in with such a, a left-field tone, uh, I think the only other example I could think of is, um, what was his name, Robbie Blunt? Yeah, he did, you with 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 uh, Robert Plant, it's like in a world of gain, you have these guys that are coming in with a handicap, which is no 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 drive, because it's like you know, I was just reading, I was uh, uh, for some reason I had stumbled on this video of like uh, talking about uh, Richie Blackmore's gear. He's talking about how um, when you play a Strat. When you play a Les Paul, it's less person like the, your personality really isn't there because it's all mid range and it's all very honky and everything sustains. With a Strat, you gotta make every note count because if you don't hit a note with any type of like, like um, intent, it yeah. dies. And that's the thing. It's like, yeah, to have a guy play a Strat like that. It's mind blowing and it's really really cool. And uh, you know, a perfect example also in the, of you know these shredders that play acoustic guitar like michael hedges to have them be able to okay the thing i love about the guitar is mimicking the human voice mm -hmm. and i remember i uh, one of my favorite quotes i ever heard was uh my friend scott bennett who used to play with uh, brian wilson they did an entire tour with uh, jeff Beck opening up and he came up to jeff he's like the thing i love about your guitar playing the most is how you're mimicking the human voice and he took his guitar off and gave him a hug he said that's exactly what i'm trying to do and it's easy when you have compression and, and gain and everything is you know sustaining but to be able to do that on an acoustic instrument like actually i got my start shredding on an acoustic on a classical guitar i remember like like you know it would, it would make my teacher, like, you know, completely lose mine. I'd be like, yeah, man, I like bending on, on a nylon. And it's like, to be able to bend on a nylon, it really builds yeah. your strength. And also to be able to try to get it sustaining, because I was learning Beatles solos on a nylon, and I was learning, you know, I was, it was my practice instrument whenever I couldn't crank up my amp. And that's actually something that a lot of people these days, they don't even go, they don't even fathom it, you know, the concept of, of, practicing on an instrument that doesn't have any type of tone um and uh, you know we, we all you know noodle on our guitars in hotels oh yeah you know there's like a certain thing to be able to to work on getting the notes to sound as good as possible at the source and that's that's really where where i come in because it's like Really, my my whole concept of tone is very simple. You know, I'm yeah. not necessarily a super processing type of guy, and I, I love the concept of like getting the the instrument to sound great, and then everything else is just easier. <laughs> yeah, so much better if you yeah, get much some better quality ingredients to start with. Yeah, yeah, man. So, so um, music in schools is a thing that it's like you were we were talking briefly yesterday, and like the guitar ironically kept me in school, but then out of class sometimes because I'd be in guitar class and then the next class would come, oh, I'm going to blow that out next. Sometimes I, I remember I'd blow off all my afternoon classes playing a nylon string in the hallway with a great reverb at Berkeley High, Berkeley High School, California. What was uh, your experience? Well, I got very lucky. Uh, there's not a lot of times where I could say that growing up in Miami Beach, Florida helped, but this was definitely the biggest thing. Um, I started playing guitar, taking like like classical lessons or, you know, nine or 10 years old. I did a little bit of guitar, like little like simple guitar stuff in elementary school. In middle school, I joined jazz band. Still, the fire wasn't officially happening. But when I was in middle school, um, the high school, the Miami Beach High School would come perform at the school and they had something called rock ensemble. And that was everything, you know, I knew it was coming. And I knew it was my chance to really play guitar because these guys were doing all the coolest covers. I mean, before me, they were doing like Night at the Opera as a show. They were doing Living Color. They were doing uh, uh, really, really cool stuff. And um, I was like, okay, I want to do this. 
So I got into high school and I auditioned and my freshman year I didn't get in, which was heartbreaking. And I remember it was just like, uh, I really fought hard to try to get in and I finally got in towards the middle of the school year and then everything just clicked because we were learning all sorts of Beatles tunes, we were learning Motown, we were learning hard rock, everything from heart to Hootie and the Blowfish at the time. I'm 41 years old, so it's like, I think one of the first solos I ever learned was I Only Want to Be With You, and it really kind of was like an influence. That song has a solo? It does, it does, it does. It has like a... Oh, oh, oh. Oh, yeah, yeah. uh, 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 Oh, shit, you know? It's a really good solo. It's kind of coming back to me, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Uh, uh. And it starts with like the uh, the type of stuff, yeah. and I was just like, "Oh my god, this is great!" So you know, the the cool thing about it is, uh, in my junior year, we did Sgt. Pepper as a concert. And it's on YouTube. Um, and uh, Tom Dowd like did the introduction, introduced us, and did a whole like dissertation on recording techniques and how the Beatles, you know, changed everything. And how there was the uh, kind of one of the interesting things about the Beatles is that the recording world uh, there was kind of like a um, a space race, America versus England, who could do better sounding recordings with the shittier equipment. And it's like it's interesting that the Beatles were you know, had two four tracks linked together while Zappa was recording Hot Rats on an eight track. And still the Beatles were more lush. I mean, it was, both of them are incredible recordings, but you know, it's like, it's incredible the lushness and the quality of sound that the Beatles were getting. So I'm in high school, I'm learning all this stuff. We're performing as a cover band. Like we were traveling, like we we would do stuff in Orlando, Lakeland. We, We did something in New York and we learned everything. We learned about, you know, what to do if your gear fails on stage. You know, what bringing a backup, you know, uh, how to perform on stage. You'd be like, I'm going to give the pickle award to the person that moves the least, you know, that our teacher, Doug Burris, was incredible. <laughs> now, here's the crazy thing. Doug Burris was uh, quadriplegic. He had multiple sclerosis. So there's this guy sitting in a chair, and the only thing he can move is his head. And he's telling us what to do. And he's teaching us classical guitar during the day. We had a rock and song. We had a recording studio class. And then he would stick around from three o'clock to six o'clock doing rock ensemble. And it was mind blowing because by the time I graduated high school, I already had about 60 to 80 gigs each, like, like, like real gigs under my belt. So that when I started playing clubs and I started sneaking into clubs when I was 18 yep. to play, you know, uh, I grew, grew, grew my first beard and wore suits and everyone thought I was my mid twenties when I was really 18. And I joined like five bands immediately right out of high school. Um, I didn't do music in college. I tried to do a little bit of jazz at Miami Dade Community College, but it wasn't a, a, an enjoyable experience because I've never been a fast player and they immediately threw bebop at me and I was just like, uh, I, I, I learned some vocabulary from it, but like learning, you know, freaking Charlie Parker saxophone solos, it was too much of a, of a, of a technical you know, step up because I was always a Neil Young, George yeah. Harrison type, less is more type guy, Santana. So I started playing in a bunch of bands and Miami was, used to be a very cool rock town and there was a bunch of really cool things happening in the early 90s. I joined the scene when all the clubs started closing because everybody's DJs were, they'd rather pay DJs. They'd take their stage out. And next thing you know, there's a DJ booth instead. But um, I played in some really cool bands, played with some great musicians, but then I had to pay the bills, and that's when I started playing Latin pop records. Uh, a story I want to tell involves mm-hmm. that telly you're holding. I, um, this that telly right there. 19- Blackguard. Looks, looks like the real deal. It but. looks the real You know what? Somebody once took it apart saying, I think this is the real deal. And they're like, oh, nope, this is an 82 Fullerton, and uh, it's just been played to death. And... Uh, yeah. I, um, the story was, <laughs> a story was, I had been seen in a club by a songwriter named Nicholas Tovar. And he's like, I need some guitar for some demos. And I'm 21 years old. And he's like, uh, 
come to Crescent Moon Studios, which is uh, the Estefan place. So this is the official studio of Gloria Estefan and Emilio Estefan. And I showed up with five guitars, my Ampic Verberocket, my pedal board. And they're like, what's all this? I'm like, this is my recording rig. And he's like, oh, I was just going to have you plug into a pod. I'm like, well, I have all this stuff. He's like, might as well mic it up. So they found a mic, mic'd it up. And I did all these guitars on like 10 songwriting demos. Uh, a month later, I got a call from him saying, good news. This one song called No Se Falta, Christian Castro loved it. And not, he didn't let just love the song. He loved your guitar playing. So since it was Pro Tools, they took my guitar parts and put it ended up on the master. So I got paid twice on that one. I got paid 50 bucks for the demo and I ended up getting paid double scale on it. And it went to number one. And he's like, well, now you're going to play on the whole record. So next thing you know, I'm at Criteria Studios with Gloria Stefan's band, Oven Burgos, uh, Julio, um, oh God, I forgot the name of the bass player, but he was amazing. And we're there tracking live with Christian Castro in the vocal booth, and I'm reacting to his vocals, and I'm playing on my first major label record. And he's like, next is the tour. And next thing you know, I'm touring, 22 years old, touring everything from stadiums to arenas and it was an incredibly valuable experience the album did really well it's called uh um uh the, the album's called uh amores. amores amores and it was uh produced by by emilio stefan and it came out fantastic next thing you know i'm playing with paulina rubio Wait, so go back to that. What do you think you learned? And you know, that must have been quite a jump for you. Or you're 21 and you oh, suddenly you're playing on these giant stages, giant venues, dealing with giant management. Well, he was like, he was like, uh, I'm Axel, you be my slash. So next thing you know, they get me a wireless system. Next thing you know, they buy me leather pants. <laughs> and I'm like playing in stadiums and I'm learning about how to, you know, what gear is really necessary for this gig. Because... I had this big pedal board. In the end, by the end of it, I had like four pedals. And, you know, I had this uh, PV Classic 50 in a road case. After a while, they were like, uh, we really would rather you go ampless. And I ended up with a Pod 2.0. Because in the end, yeah. everyone's on ears. And it actually ended up being a really good thing yeah. for the sound because he was having a lot of... He was not an ears person. He was had all these uh, Claire Brothers... Uh, he would bring Claire Brothers monitors with him every time. And... You'd never do sound check, so it was very important that everybody on stage sounded great. But I learned a lot about I learned a lot about like performing on stage and entertaining and also playing the parts with precision while entertaining. And I've always been very active on stage and I've always had a great time. And uh, that was a project where he really wanted me running around the stage and had a great time. It was really, really cool. Until he remarried, and his next wife was like, that guy's distracting. <laughs> make him cut his hair, make him shave his beard, and make him make sure he's back there. And that was towards the end of that project. And then that I, I ended up moving on to other was things. There, wait, was there a... Was, I checked out some of his music. It's everything from like cool Latin stuff to like big, almost like epic rock stuff. To, well, his biggest whoa. hit... <laughs> And I was just like, (laughs) it's kind of, yeah, holy shit. I can't believe I remember that. That's Asul. That's actually a Dan Warner guitar part. And Dan passed away uh, uh, two years now. And he was the greatest guitar player in Miami. And he was like the number one guy. And he was amazing. And uh, it was, a lot of it kind of was like like Spanish journey. Because he has a really high voice. Then a lot of it is straight ahead, like Mexican ballad stuff. But then, you know, the, the other songs, is like... Oh. Oh. And the thing I learned is that, wow, you know, a lot of this Latin pop stuff is stuck in 85 to 80 to 90. And I'm here playing that telly, the yeah. Mustang. I had a 78 Les Paul that I still have. And I was just like, man, it, coaxing that stuff out of that. And uh, it's really fun because, like, 
uh, he still tours, and I've seen a long line of guys playing my licks. <laughs> On like Ibanez's with Floyd's and yeah. you know Variaxes and and all sorts of modern stuff and it's like oh wow I recorded that with a Jekyll and Hyde, eighty two Tilly into Ampergrub Rocket you know straight in and it's just like it's fun but that was the beginning of that uh, I ended up playing with Paulina Rubio I played on this huge reggaeton record Tegel Calderon. But these are all records that I never thought, I, I never would buy, you know? It's like, okay, they're great. I bought them because I'm on them. My friends were super excited about me. It was all good. But in the end, I listened to them, and every once in a while, they come on uh, my phone, you know, when I'm listening to in a rental car or something. And I'm like, wow, okay. Well, I just stayed myself, but the music is pretty, you know, it's very generic and, and very kind of plastic. And I was this weirdo guy. I remember bringing like theremins and stuff and playing yeah. theremin on a record and like doing delay bombs and stuff. So two things were a major pivotal pivotal decision that led to my decision to move to LA. With Paulina, we did a radio tour for her album Grand City Pop and we had a Madison Square Garden festival that we played. And at the last minute, she decided we were going to just fake it on stage. Hmm. Just play the track. So I've never played a whole Square. set, or was it like... Three songs. And we just played the tape, and they, we were promised that there was going to be an amp or cable on stage. Nothing. Me and the other guitar player are not even plugged in. I can't even share a video of that. And I was just like, oh, this will never happen in rock world. Yeah, I was talking to Paul Kander about doing that on the Ed Sullivan or something. Yeah. I was like, but what were you guys plugged into? Because... I don't know if it was Ed Sullivan. It was definitely a show where they were not where they were lip syncing, and he's like, "Oh, I was just plugged into Jack Cassidy's bass. We were like, sharing one cable going across the stage. That's like, plugged hilarious. into each other. That's hilarious. That's very funny. Oh my god, that's great. Um, and the other thing that happened was, in the end, she ended up using a band from L.A. for her tour. And check this out: she gives me tickets to go see her Miami show. And the first thing I noticed, she only had one guitar player. I'm like, that's a lot of parts to ring one guy. And then she played a bunch of songs off of her older stuff. Then she started playing stuff on the stuff I played on. And I heard my guitar parts coming out of the PA. There was two guitar players on stage, technically. Because I heard my delay bombs and I heard my tone. And yeah. I was like, oh my God, I'm playing this show, but I'm not getting paid. And again, I was just like, okay, nothing against her. It was probably a decision made by her management, whatever, you know, to keep costs down. But I was like, okay that's it i gotta go play in a more like traditional rock and roll place and la was a real experiment it was supposed to be a two or five year plan and now i'm about to have my 10 year anniversary it's been everything i wanted it to be it's been great well yeah you have a knack for a i mean you're a really interesting cat my friend like you're first of all you have like an encyclopedic knowledge of rock and music and and personnel and everything that is well beyond your years youngster i'm a dork and <laughs> that's great Secondly, you seem to land on your feet like this epic moment. If you've been around L.A., there's this, the Kibitz Room here at the Cantor's Famous Deli where mm -hmm. epic jams happen on weeknights, and, and you're playing there one night, and what happens? Well, uh, basically, there's these guys that have been playing there since the 90s, and they're incredible musicians. Dan Rothschild, J.J. Blair, Morty Coyle, Jordan Summers, Matt Tecchio, Tom Polche, uh, and, and the, the big one, the, the one that really changed my life was David Goodstein from Miami, who for 10 years was like, you got to move here. You got to move here. And finally, I came out here. He said, okay, come come to Candor's. You're going to meet all your friends. And it, it really happened. I, I mean, I am great friends with everybody there. And within three months, I was already like filling in for J.J. Blair. Like, you know, oh, they're a guitar player. Uh, and I'm like, wow! I'm the guy now. This is great. And don't they like just play like one continuous four-hour set with the no way it works? Is you're not allowed to bring your own guitar. You have to use what's on stage, and they just hand off. It's like, all right, who's next? Yeah. Lift the guitar. You come on stage. Grab the guitar. Strap might be set all wrong for you, but still, you 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 learn to adapt. Well, one night we jammed the right song at the right time, and I'm on stage. We're jamming Mr. Soul, and I did my. And I did my Neil Young thing. Some guy comes <laughs> up and he says, I'm producing a record. I need you to play on it. When can you be at the studio? Whatever. Turned out to be Andy Slater. He introduced himself as, as Andy Slater. As Andy. 
I didn't realize it was Andrew Slater, the Andrew Slater that produced Fiona Apple's title album, which is one of my favorite albums of all time. The Andrew Slater that produced Wallflower's Breach, the Andrew Slater that produced Macy Gray, and the Andrew Slater that later was the president of Capitol for two years. Well, after Capitol, Andrew's next move was management. Manages Jacob Dylan, Cat Power, Jake Strinos, still works with Fiona Apple. And he had this project that he wanted to do that was all songs from the 60s Laurel Canyon scene. The Birds, Buffalo Springfield, uh, Mamas and the Papas. And originally the concept was to make an album. And he brought me in and it was all, all the songs had pilot vocals that was just Jacob. And he's like, these are all going to become duets. So I played guitar on it, and the first thing you notice is that I didn't need charts, because I knew all the songs. You showed me questions, uh, what's happening, uh, uh, never my love, you know. These are all songs that I knew, and he's like, okay, you're the right guy. Next thing you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like tracking. Oh, yeah, another thing is I, I brought my Mustang, I brought my pedal board. It's like, you're not using that stuff. What year is that Mustang? You're this is a 74, uh, and I picked this guitar up for $500, did the Todd Rundgren mod, so you take the switches out, you put in hot-rodded pickups, and you put a three-way switch, like a Gibson. These are uh, red lace sensors. All this stuff doesn't work. There's not even a switch here. So it's just a three-way. Just yeah, yeah. bridge, middle, neck. The two knobs are just CTS, uh, regular pots. And then um, there's a little bit of pencil lead, because the be this has the, the best tremolo on earth yeah go I back mean, to that neil young Dude, show me your your quote unquote neil young thing again what, what should i play underneath e minor just uh, rocking the free world survive you know and that's yeah, you exactly, rock man yeah. he neil young is truly underrated by, by you know certain er, certain arena i've what's that one video of him like in 78 or some of the uh, neck the necktie video uh, well the necktie video is actually 80 83 and he was doing uh, this thing called uh called uh, uh, tr uh trans which is like that was him he he uh, had his son had autism and he realized that he could actually speak to him better by using a vocoder so he did the whole album with a vocoder and it's like full on like like new wave it's like really oh, weird yeah. and the label hated it but it was a really cool record and that tour was great and he's super you know that's amazing it's all different he's a he's the first guy ever to be sued for not sounding like himself because he had signed a deal with Geffen and he put out three and records John Fogarty got sued for sounding like himself yeah, for but writing the same song. Yeah, exactly. Which is funny. You got to be careful. You never know. You get sued for anything these days. But um, I started tracking on this stuff. And holy crap, I um, I started getting text messages from Andy. Hey, remember that song? Fiona Apple singing on that. Hey, you remember that song? Beck singing on that. <laughs> these are cool and texts. The best one was, you're no longer playing the solo on Questions. Eric Clapton is. But I kept your rhythm guitars. So you're going to be on a track with Clapton. What? That's crazy. I look back to like me listening to the Crossroads box set when I was nine years old and going. Was Clapton out here? Did he track? No, with he tracked Andrew? it in London. Right. And they went out to London, and Andy, did, Andy actually went out to London to do it with Clapton, and oh. took his fifty-five Strat and his tweed, two of three of his tweed amps, or two of his tweed amps, and he said the same thing. You're, you're going to use my stuff because he said yeah, that's the thing he's he he andy has an incredible guitar collection and he's like i've been collecting guitars for 20 years for this project and one minute he'd be like all right here's a 63 6120 uh gretch uh here's a 55 telly here's a 55 strat here you're gonna have to sit down for this one 59 les paul burst that used to be owned by keith richards which was not nobody my stands up playing that guitar not my favorite uh i, I my favorite <laughs> of all his guitars the 61 the 63 Gretsch, he had a um, 66 Firebird 1, 
big Clapton fan. But you know, he made Clapton play the six, this fifty-five Strat through through uh, the, the the tweed, and it sounds exactly like Derek and the Dominoes. It's amazing, and and you know, Clapton's a, such an incredible player. And it, 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 let's not talk about anything aside from his playing because it's freaking amazing and it's incredible. And uh, that was mm-hmm. an awesome thing. So the soundtrack was supposed to the, okay it was supposed to be an album and it was done and mastered like april 2015 we did a concert to have like footage to like sell the album that night he's like this would make a better movie and i found out that movies take longer than albums because <laughs> it didn't come out until 2019 and then the album which i was super excited about became the soundtrack however in this movie it's like i'm playing Behind Brian Wilson, uh, Beck, Fiona Apple, Regina Spector, so Cat Power. The concert did happen. The concert did happen. It's a big part of the thing. Yeah. But then we also did a bunch of stuff where we um, were at Famous Studios in L.A., Capitol with, with Brian Wilson, United Western with uh, uh, Michelle Phillips, the Mamas and Papas. Um, I wasn't there for Nora Jones Day because I was doing Cruise to the Edge. I was a bad boy. But um, I was there for... Uh, for all the other stuff, which is really, really amazing. And uh, it was great to actually play and record at these studios. Stephen Stills' day was really cool. We didn't get the jam, but Stephen was there. And it was funny because we showed up and all his amps were set up. And then as we were setting up, his tech started tearing it down. I'm like, ah, they did his portion earlier. So I was totally (laughs) wanting to do the Neil Young while he does the Stephen Stills, but whatever. Neil Young's on two tracks. One of them is I Just Wasn't Made for These Times where I play... Leslie guitar, slide guitar, organ, really beautiful. And he does backup vocals. What's happening, he does this incredible guitar solo, and I'm on the other speaker playing the only instrument of mine that played on this, my Rogue Electric sitar. So I'm getting all raga on one side, and on the other, you know, Neil is rocking out with his old black doing his thing, and it's like, oh my God. This is really happening. This is like my dream. And uh, that's the, what closes the movie is you see Neil, they did like, they like filmed him without even telling him like on an iPhone and he's just like rocking out in the studio doing the Neil Young thing. And you hear that there's a sitar and he's kind of like playing off of it. And that's me. I'm like, ah, this is everything I wanted out of LA. And it's still like, it precedes me. And it was an incredible project. And since then, we got to play with Jackson Brown on stage. We got to play with Michelle Phillips a few times. You know, there was that big concert. And then we did a tour where we would show the movie, and then we would play. And every night, I would watch the movie with a bowl of popcorn and a Coke. And be like, why are you watching the movie again? I'm like, I'm on a screen in front of people, and I love watching people react. And they laugh every single time at the same spots, you know, and they, they cheer and it's it's beautiful to be part of something like that because you know look when can you say that you sitting in a theater and you're watching yourself on a screen and it's like yeah. and of course the movie's called Echo in the Canyon I still have yet to see it I know it was on Amazon for a while it, and it's it, no it's you just came off of Netflix and you can get it on Amazon and Apple so it's on Amazon streaming on Amazon, Amazon streaming and, and on Apple you yeah. can, you could buy it on Apple. And it's such a cool movie. I mean, look, it, there was another thing called Laurel Canyon that's a, that's a little more um, in-depth. Like, Echo in the Canyon doesn't really get into the Manson killings and, and major of the drug stuff. And the biggest drama in there is, uh, you know, David Crosby getting kicked out of the birds. But it's more of a feel-good thing. And the best review I heard from it was, for 90 minutes, I didn't think about COVID or Trump. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, that's great. That's great because it's an escape movie. It's the type of movie you could sit around and watch with your family. And it, it makes you go break out the vinyl. It makes you go listen to these songs. And it's like, it's great. And we did all these really cool versions of it. And Jacob is awesome. Man, talk about an underrated singer-songwriter, guitar player, just all-around yeah. badass. And, you know, nepotism... It, it, it's a it's a two-sided knife on one hand it was easy for him to get in the biz on the other hand he's got the shadow you know i mean oh, yeah. you know his dad is the greatest songwriter of all time and that's a huge shadow over him and the fact that he was able to um break in with his own sound his own thing and he is critically acclaimed on his own 
as opposed to just living. And he never once performed with his dad or did a duet or whatever. You know, he's really his own person. And um, the new Wallflowers record, uh, it's called uh, Exit Wounds. He mentioned that uh, doing Echo in the Canyon made him fall in love with the electric guitar again, and that big electric guitar sound. And uh, in many ways, me and Jeff Perlman, who are the two guitar players in the Echo in the Canyon, we're that part of that big guitar sound. So we're glad that we inspired him to do another Wallflowers record. And my friend Ben Peeler, who's also from Miami, uh, he played guitar on the record. Uh, Butch, uh, Butch Walker produced it. And it's a really yeah. good record. Man. Really, really good record. <laughs> you are one active mofo. Like, uh, I don't even know if we have time to touch on everything, but people should definitely check out your tribute to Ram, the great Paul, McCart- Paul McCartney and Linda McCartney record. That was an incredible experience. So basically, uh, Denny Sywell, uh, the original drummer of Wings, was my neighbor when I lived in Winnetka. And we worked on a project together. We did two Beatles songs for a project I had called Open Sound. Loved my studio, loved my, my aesthetic, loved my kit, loved the way I work. And uh, I was like, hey, you know, it'd be awesome if we did Ram as a concert for the 50th anniversary. COVID came and ruined that plan. And I said, well, maybe we should make an album. And we ended up making this album with over 100 people sending tracks from all over the world, you know. Hmm tambourine track from from freaking japan a mellotron track from germany and it came out fantastic we put it out through cherry red and it inspired me and now the next project i'm doing is the 50th anniversary of todd rungren something anything is coming out in february and i'm doing a version of that that's 24 track double album and i just got track i just got a track from marshall crenshaw uh chasm sultan i did a track with jordan rudis of dream theater um Lord louise goffin carol king's daughters doing i saw the light it's really really cool and that's going to be out in february and uh, that's going to be actually a self-release because we're going to do a charity thing back to the schools thing todd rungren has an amazing charity called spirit of harmony that gives instruments and helps uh with uh, costs of, of you know maintaining school programs and we're going to do all the net to that so that's going to be really really cool once we get all the you know manufacturing and hiring a publicist and everything so that's really cool um and that uh, that's the cool thing is that every year 50th anniversary this year's the 50th anniversary of led zeppelin 4 so it's like 50th anniversary of stairway to heaven you know next year will be 72 and that'll be like you know actually like that'll be the 50th anniversary of uh of so many great records freaking uh chicago uh freaking um every year every yeah. year it's like 50th I'm not anniversary sure if i like this whole 50th anniversary <laughs> making me feel old but oh whatever yeah. man <laughs> whatever no. it's, a, it's a lot of fun so uh, let's listen to one of your mp3s that you sent me what, what did you send me i sent you a variety of things so um so yeah. the the first thing i want to play is um there's a the new album with uh with carmine apiece and we just put out a new single uh it's a song called uh, flower child and one of the things that's blowing my mind is that we've been doing all these interviews and carmine does some of, some of them alone and he keeps on comparing me to Jeff Beck. And uh, he's a big influence of mine. But I'm nowhere near, you know, I mean, the the guy is the most freaking amazing guitar player alive and everything. And um, this song, he sent it to uh, Susie Quattro. And she asked him, she's like, is that who I think it is on guitar? And he's like, who? He's like, uh, Jeff Beck? I'm like, no, it's this guy Fernando. And... What can I say? I mean, you know, Carmine played with him in, for decades, you know, Beck Boger to Peace, you know. He, Carmine says he yeah. was the original drummer that was supposed to play on Blow by Blow, and in the end there was a contractual issue because they wanted to co-bill, or I don't know what to deal with that, but then he also played with him and you know, Rod Stewart, uh, you know, and it, it, it's a mind-blower. And this song, again, in a world of shred in instrumental, this song is a completely melodic I'm not really showboating at all. It's all about the melody. It's all about playing guitar and imitating the human voice. So, yeah, it's really really cool. And uh, that's play a little bit right now. Maybe you know this. If you crank it, maybe this will be enough to give people a taste. This beautiful stereo mic right here. <laughs> that's beautiful. Thank you. 
tone. There's that great drum sound. That's the vibe of that one. Hey, beautiful, yeah. So Good wow, that is amazing. That that is amazing, man. The tone, first of all, I know ninety nine percent of it's your fingers, but that's that telly through the magnetone through the le- the, the, the legend amp, and it's like legend cabinet, and it's just like the thing about <laughs> it is that I it's all about the phrasing and just like again guitar imitating the human voice and singing for you, you know and that's the variety that's the thing you know yeah thanks yeah man well out well ted cornbloom huge fan of echo in the canyon he's like look i i would love for you guys to play my amps and we're at nam and jeff perlman and i are hanging out and i'm trying out this amp and the thing that absolutely blew my mind so one of the designers of the amp is larry Cragg, who is neil young's guitar tech for the last 40 years and he's there adjusting the knobs he's like try this try this i'm like you're teching for me (laughs) (laughs) and it was really really cool and they're loud as hell they has the most beautiful pitch shifting vibrato circuit and it's just like oh the reverb tank is gorgeous the whole thing is amazing and they're really really cool amps and you know i'd use them live more but they're too loud i actually took it to the troubadour for a dirty diamond gig and they made me face it towards the wall because it was just too loud at like two. It just really throws hard. Yeah, it's got the open back to probably pretty loud coming at you that way too. Yeah, it's a loud amp, but it's a it's a beautiful sound. It's somewhere between a tweed and a black face. Uh, and it's very cool. It's got a beautiful clean tone and you know, I, I love it. It's just really everything. I even play I even record bass through it. It sounds awesome. So, good times. So, um, you got a little shindig coming up where you're going to be playing 20 Todd Rundgren yeah. songs. And Todd Rundgren's going to be watching probably for most watching, of that. And, and maybe he, he'll hop up with you. What's I don't know. We'll see. But that's this Thursday. And, and the thing about Todd is that he is everything I want to be on guitar. And so versatile and emotional. The thing about it is he's also another guy that's like he knows the notes that are going to play. He knows the right notes they'll play. They'll just hit you in the heart and just throw you back. And it's so good. It's so good. He is so amazing. And I, I his songwriting, his his ability to be a chameleon. Play us one of the, your these inspirational things that you that you feel from well, his playing that you might be doing tomorrow. Oh my God! It, first of all, the guy he has such a unique unique style, and it's like. Oh yeah, this song is like a. Okay. 
And it's just like, there's so much melodic content in that. And he, there are so many different things. It's like, man, I love what he does, and I love the variety, and I love the unpredictability of his playing. It could really be yeah. overbearing, and it's a lot of fun. He's really, really great. And he played a Mustang. There's two guys that are why I play a Mustang, Todd Rungard and Jason Faulkner. And I remember reading an interview with Jason Faulkner, guitar player magazine, saying that the thing he loves about the Mustang is that you have to fight it. It's not the easiest instrument to play doesn't have a you know perfect uh, the uh, it's three quarter neck i put 11s on it which which really helps with like tuning stability and all sorts of things yes but it it's just such an easy neck to play you got some new frets on there oh uh, yeah it's been refretted it's a nice. couple times but 22 frets yeah one more than one more than a regular strat uh, just on a side note it drives me nuts that fender custom shops have 21 frets i'm like okay you can be all vintage and everything, but this twenty-second fret was very helpful. We can you can fit the you don't have to move the neck pickup. You can still fit it there. I see the wood right there. It's just, I like the twenty-second fret. Yeah, I'm always down with that. Uh, but it, but you know that's the thing is that there's so much variety in what Todd does, and it's so great. And so there's that. I um I wanted to share a little bit of a of a track that I'm doing for the Todd Rundgren tribute. Um, that and it's a there's a song called Breathless that on the album something anything is a synthesizer uh expo it's kind of like all like 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 you know really early electronica and i decided to turn it into a guitar thing and then we got jordan rudis from uh dream theater to play a, a piano and synthesizer solo but talk about melodic guitar playing i mean this is the most this is one of my favorite melodies of all time so this is you and jordan rudis basically yeah together? basically I'm, I'm on all the instruments except for the keys This is fucking incredible, man. Yeah, dude, that 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 song, and the crazy thing about it is that like the original blows minds. I mean, the original song it was I mean, uh, it was basically a uh, uh, like a like like a synthesizer thing, and it's so cool. It's so great. And Know, the fact that it's like I, I was like okay well the original is all synthesizers I'll go guitar on this one so. does Todd know all about this he's yeah. heard it? has he heard the tracks or? he's heard some stuff and I've heard that he digs it so that's great McCartney thing yeah. I heard he dug it he never did an official endorsement but I heard he dug it so well, I worked with Jesse Gress many years as a guitar player and Jesse's amazing and Jesse's going to be uh, playing this weekend with Todd and uh, he's doing much better he had some health scare and I know. now he's alright so well, he's doing great he's doing fantastic yeah, man. So, you know, look, and then I, I do all sorts of Americana, which is funny because, like, you know, I do progressive rock and I do Americana. I do singer-songwriter music. I've done acoustic records, but that's the thing is that I just love the guitar. I love playing and I love being thrown into interesting scenarios and, and jumping into the fire, you know? It's cool. Wow. Well, it's been great hanging out with you. Man, for an Jude, you're the man. Cheers, bro. That was a lot of fun. Keep it live to your million I, I and really, five. I really hope that uh, that uh, we all end up we have to on a stage together one day. That'd be great. Yeah, 
Yeah. If not the Enormo Dome, then Cantor's Deli. Cantor's Deli will work. Yeah, man. <laughs> the, the Normo Dome. There's actually a song on the next uh, Carmen Apiece for Domo record. It's called Enormo Dome. We're working on the next one. Where did We're he actually, record his drums and all that stuff? It sounds so he great. He did it at his house. That's another thing is that... Where does he live these days? He lives in Lake Worthless. Lake Worth. Lake Worth, Florida. And it's like he... Uh, it actually was incredible timing because he really needed a guinea pig project. Because he said the drums on that record, It's called again, it's called Energy Overload. Mm-hmm. With who plays bass and stuff? You? Me. Yeah, that's great. So it's man. just the two of us. And it's really cool because I, 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 playing bass to Carmine, oh my God, it's just like being in a roller coaster. The guy is, that, is so unpredictable. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I think I made the comment that so I know what it's like to go to war with explosions going around you and like everything. Because he's like, man, he's really present <laughs> he's got the he's got the energy and he and there's big room sound on there which i love oh yeah well he, yeah, that's half of his sound really <laughs> overheads is not really a thing in his world it's rooms room mics stereo room mics awesome that's yeah, really cool well congratulations awesome. thanks so much brother Man, when does this so come good. out sheesh uh, maybe tomorrow i don't know amazing it depends oh, if, I, if, I can, if i can hustle like you then it should be out tomorrow which is thursday cool Ooh. Thank you.